0: Last week on the Virtue of Justice.
1: One of the best weapons against injustice is utilizing the justice that we do have for our people.
2: The perception of justice is is very different, but it's important that people believe that they can get a fair shake.
0: God has laid out that trouble is going to be in this world. And from ministry, it's our compassion to say, okay, I'll walk along with you.
3: Black people, while we're angry, we still better have some kind of class. You gotta have class. Michelle Obama said it this way. She says, when they go low, we go high. And that's not always easy, but it's always necessary.
4: everybody, welcome to part two of week two. We're so sorry we had to cut you off a little short last week, but that's because what we're talking about in this discussion is just so deep and so big, we had to break it up. We wanna give a special hello to people watching across America and across the world. We know that these conversations are looked forward to. We look forward to them as well. And joining me again to continue this great dialogue and conversation is a good friend of mine, Adrienne McKnight. She's an attorney here in Houston. We have Clarence Singleton here. He's worked with the singles group at Lighthouse. We have Ms. Tanya Randall, who's the director of ministries at Lighthouse. And of course, the man of the hour, <laughs> Senior Pastor Keon Henderson, to kind of break down some stuff for you and hopefully help you get your own dialogue started with your family and friends. I want to ask, and each of you can look in the camera and answer this um, in terms of justice. Talk about a specific example, whether it's justice or injustice, that kind of, you know, resonated with you. It could have been made you upset, or it could have been something that you were proud of, saying, you know what, the right thing was done. I was so happy for that moment. So, yeah, y'all look in the cameras and...
1: One of the, 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 the situations I faced that, that really brought racism to reality to me is when a um, few years, I think it was Allison, where like all the power was out and everything. You couldn't find ice anywhere. And so I was headed to go get some ice, and they said, oh, they got some in Pasadena. I don't know if y'all know about Pasadena <laughs> like that. Oh, <Hello>, Pasadena! <laughs> right. Listen, yeah, I, right I, I I drove down there, and uh, the lady that I was with at the time, I got out because she wanted some snacks. She complained, I want something to snack. We've been riding, we've been riding. So okay, well, let me go in the store, and I'm walking, and I just see a bunch of pickup trucks and a bunch of white men sitting on the back of them and everything, and I look at the the name of the store. I think it was called Dusty something. Mm -mm. I said, whoa, and and I said, you know what? You're gonna have to be hungry a little longer. (laughs) So I turned around going back to the truck and it was a white guy, older white guy that parked next to me. And when I was getting in, he said, keep it moving inward. And she said, did you hear him? I said, yeah. What you gonna do i said we gonna keep, keep,
4: keep it moving <laughs> get up in this car and get up and we drove
1: out of here because common sense kicked yeah. in and yeah. said listen all of them yeah. again i got one gun yeah. they probably got a bunch of them and then it's going to be my dead story <laughs> against theirs yeah. so i had to use some sense but that, that brought to me reality like hey this stuff is real and and I, what our ancestors went through or died for we should not not take that in vain. We should.
0: not Miss Danny, how about you? I think one um, when I was in uh, college, I went to Prairie View A and M University, and TV. one you of them, know, <laughs> one of the uh, injustices that launched me. I you know, I, I have the spirit to fight, so I'm always down. Like, hey, we're gonna march. Probably didn't even know what it was for at the time, but one of the things... <laughs> we need to be best Yeah, 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 I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm with it. I got Now what we doing? Right. <laughs> what happened? What time? <laughs> so um, it was b- about voting. So there was an issue, you know, you know where Prairie is located, so, but the area around us, uh, you know, mixed, but pr- pr- predominantly Caucasian. And that area, it was about letting college students vote in that city. And that right to do, especially if you were relocated there, so people that moved from a different state and so forth. So they didn't want, they, did, they wouldn't allow them to vote there. And so that created a, a, um, a right of march to have the right to vote where you now reside. You are now a resident of the state of Texas. And so this, that, watching that injustice of how they said, no, you can't. You don't live here, you don't do this, but I live here four years. This is now by the state law. This is, the law says I'm a resident here. You're charging me a very nice price to be here because I'm now living your state. So just watching and doing that injustice made me say, okay, this is where we, this is, I'm in college. I'm supposed to be reading. This is where we now got to learn some stuff because they will, you know, people will let you, I mean, take away your rights when you don't make a stand to say, um, no, I have the right to do it. And you have to do that with the power force. So that was one place I really saw how unfair, just because they were scared, just because it, you're, you're now showing, I, I, it's five, over 6,000 students here. They can have some power if they start voting here. And you saw what fear looked like and what they will do with fear.
4: Yeah, Adria, how about you? I was still
2: sitting here thinking, I'm like, <laughs> let me go last. Uh, <laughs> So, there's not really one that specifically stands out, but I think just in my life, I'm going to give this example of the fact that my grandfather spent 20 years in prison for murder in Mississippi because he accidentally ran over a white man on a country road as a teenager. He had to be very young. And that's how my family ended up in Michigan is because someone went down and vouched for him after 20 years and they let him out. And they said, if you if we ever catch you, you will die. So they ended up in Michigan. And so my mom always says, isn't it amazing to think about the fact that her father spent 20 years in prison because he couldn't get a fair trial. My grandmother only went to the third grade and then boom. You have a grandchild who is a lawyer who goes to court every day to help people, just like my granddad, who didn't have a fair shot. And so I always like to use that story because I think it just really goes to show how everything is full circle. You know, I've now represented so many different types of people, including, ironically, um, members from the Aryan Nation. Right. And I mean, to me, that's crazy because we don't know who our clients are until we get the files. And so I opened the file and I said, oh, I see you're a documented gang member because that's what they call them, you know, in jail. And he looked at me like, you know, is she what is she going to do? And I'm like, I see you're a documented gang member. Let's talk about that. And he says, yeah, I am. And I'm like, "Okay, so how's that going to affect us in this relationship? Is it going to be a problem? And he said, no, it's not. I said, okay, I'm glad we're on the same page. And so I was able to use that as a teachable moment where he and I would have never crossed paths ever, but for him meeting my assistant. Mm-hmm. And so I just, again, it really shows that when you're in these positions, you really have the opportunity to use what happened in the past and really use it as a stepping stone for your future.
4: Good. Um, For me, I have a million stories. Just like Clarence, with him being in the barbershop, you hear and experience so many things. I can't even tell you how much I've seen in my 14 years in television. But one story I'll never forget was in 2009. I was covering a story that went viral and national in Homer, Louisiana. Itty bitty little town divided by railroad tracks. This side of people, you know, these people on this side of town, these people on this side of town. It was maybe like 3000, maybe not even that many, but it was close to the Arkansas line. I mean, it's country and down south as you can imagine. So one day there's a man who's known to be mute in town. People know him, he was having a, a barbecue, he was mute. It was dust, his family was in the yard, everybody was playing, having a good time. Police come barging through the yard. They claim they were chasing his grandson. Long story short, it wound up with the man being killed, blasted in front of all of his family members, okay? This man is known. He clearly was not a threat. He did not have a weapon. He did not deserve to be slaughtered like that in front of his family members. So, you know, the, <laughs> the coverage started. The story began, and the police officers immediately got off by, by the parish court system. Uh, nobody was surprised by that because this is deep South Louisiana and everybody just kind of knew like, okay, unfortunately this man may or may not see justice. That's what happened. So they had to bring in the Department of Justice, they had to bring in all these, Nash, Al Sharpton, all these people came to this itty bitty town of Homer, Louisiana. And I just remember seeing, and this was when I was fresh out of college, I remember seeing for the first time injustice and how it played out and how it made this town and all these people feel. And that was for the first time too I'd ever seen the KKK. I was covering an NAACP meeting at a church in town. The KKK was riding around in pickup trucks outside just to intimidate the people there who were trying to organize and figure out how they're gonna get justice for this man so um that was the first time i'd ever really seen i think tangible i was like am i 19 what what is happening here you know a woman in uh she was on the council town council she said you know i asked her when they were voting on a new council member um one had mysteriously died after she asked for the doj to come in <laughs> we still don't know what happened to the old black woman but anywho so they had to vote on a new replacement and so it was split down racial lines these folks voted for white folks these folks voted for black folks anyway so i interviewed i said on her porch She's had to be like 80. I said, well, ma'am, some would argue that this is racially motivated, your vote. She says, oh, no, honey. I know, I don't have a problem with race at all. I know plenty of good coloreds. I'm sure you're a good colored. And I said, no, ma'am, I don't know what you mean. She's like, well, I'm just saying, like, I don't have a race problem. I've had a black, you know, I've had someone cook for me for 25 years. And so, again, I just, that was the first time I'd had a real experience with just difference in treatment. And, and injustice so kind of switching to something positive you know i think we've all probably seen the movie just mercy right that is um something that i think opened a lot of people's eyes you know a lot of people was probably watching for michael b jordan but you know seeing really there <laughs> she laughing she's like well no lies told listen <laughs> listen but um you know it really broke down the true story right it was it was a, a true book brian stevenson adapted for film talking about the Equal Justice Initiative and how they were going and taking steps to basically try to get justice for people who would never see it otherwise, people who've had trumped up charges, people who've had been lied on, people who've had no you know, witnesses, no anything to help them. And so, um, you know, and anyone can answer this. That's a positive, right? I mean, there are some things in place. There are initiatives and ministries and things, you know, prison ministry, things that, that y'all are doing that are, that are kind of putting the groundwork, right? right?
0: right. And i think that's what you know being a part of a ministry uh that pastor has created in in his vision uh, uh, us being out in prisons three prisons in the city um going into a women's prison uh, just even his um, uniqueness and even knowing uh, who to bring on like he said our wealth of knowledge and exposure will help encounter so many people that come through that will come through his ministry what we've been exposed to, to help them become stronger, but how we reach people, we're going into the prisons, giving them hope in a different way. And then they, that hope can tie them to somebody that'll walk in the door to say, hey, you were, I'll, I'll help you. Because they can lose hope in there and say, no, I don't want to fight that, I'll just do my time, I don't want to deal with anything, the, things that, the backlash that can come with even fighting inside those walls. So I do uh, love the idea, I mean, love being a part of something this grand now in my life Uh, and being that you now get to touch people in a way to help them have hope in a way by my exposure and knowing that that can help somebody just go a little bit further.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, if you belong to the Lighthouse family or if you know anything about the church and you undoubtedly have heard about the Dream Center, you know, that's Pastor Keon's baby, that's his passion project, that's something that's really gonna bless so many people in the area, you know, 40,000 square feet of space that's gonna just I think cover so many different parameters, right? Meeting basic needs, but also providing this jumping off point, the knowledge, the things that you need just to, I like to say encompass somebody, just cover them. Um, Pastor, talk about that just because I, I believe that as we've talked about all night, right? How equity plays into and having equal access to things and resources to things and knowledge can ultimately play a part in getting justice. So talk about that and how you think and hope that that's gonna make a dent in that.
3: I, I put the church uh, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I put it right where it is intentionally. Um, We used to rent schools and I wouldn't pick a school that wasn't the byproduct of a high tax based area where there were uh, neighborhoods to fund that school. The first school, second school that we went into was Summer Creek, it was brand new. Nobody had ever, the students hadn't even been in the school before we rented it. Um, and we had to get special uh, uh, exception for that because I knew that a majority of the people that I was leading and are leading uh, are either at or beneath the poverty line in some instance. And I knew one thing, you cannot be what you don't see. So I I rented Kingwood High School just so that people could drive past million-dollar houses on the way to church even if they couldn't live in one. Mm -hmm. I I was always strategic. It was never a school in the hood, and I had nothing against it, but I was trying to bring the people up. The the building that we're in right now, I've spent more on renovating it than I paid for it so that when people would come into the building, they would understand what it feels like to be an African-American in a facility that wasn't run down, and that was brand new. Uh, that they could have their wedding in and it would be state of the art and not be embarrassed about it. And this dream center is an extension of that. It's because I don't know, these kids have nowhere to go. They're latchkey kids. So their mom is at work. And the only gymnasium that's in the area is run down. And I made it my business to try to make sure that I introduced our community of people in all of our in every location we've got four of them and I've all of the buildings are new because it's a part of my vision to make sure that the people that I lead can see what greatness looks like even if they don't go home to it mm. because once I expose them to what greatness is in our environment it makes them go seek it in their own environment right. that's good. and that's why we called it the Dream Center so that people can actually come there and dream, and then go live out their reality. Hey everybody, it's giving time. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down. Shaking together and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because it specifically lets me know that if I do A, God will absolutely do B. I believe that this is the season for you to absolutely not to have to worry about money problems. This is the season for you to live in the absolute truth that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. I'm believing for you to have a season of overflow and I want you to connect with us today as we all get ready to give together so that God will be able to open up that window and pour you out a blessing you won't have room enough to receive. All of the instructions on how to do it are coming up on the bottom of the screen right now this could be the day that changes the rest of your life if you are faithful over a few things you read it god will make you ruler over much get ready for much in fact i need everybody to type it just type much there you go i see it coming through there say it again much Shout it in your house wherever you are watching this i want you to believe god for much and more it is the father's good pleasure that you would enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. As we go back to this conversation, I want you to go back to this conversation filled with joy, knowing that you're going to hear what we have to say, but I want you to hear that small, still voice whispering in your ear, hearing what the Spirit is saying to you right now. It's your time to live in overflow. Check this out.
4: I used to ask people that I interviewed young people who were just in trouble, or you know they were labeled as thugs on the news. I'm like, you know, I asked one. I said, "Man, why are you doing what you're doing?" He said, "Ma'am, I'm just a product of my environment. So you change that environment, you change that perspective, you raise that bar. It forces people to come up. So that's going to do life-changing work for yeah, sure.
3: And I make sure they know what we do. I, they can tell. You, I tell them what it costs. So. Because the only way you can get accustomed to big dollars and big numbers is you have to deal with them and then you lose the fear for them. So it's like buying a first class ticket. Uh, you, you, once you buy it, then that dollar amount subconsciously says to you, it's not as hard as I thought it was. You get over that hump. So we bought a building. 30 acres of land, $6.4 million. When I said that to the people, they thought I was crazy. <laughs> like, she was there.
4: Like of of they were like, we gonna do
3: what? <laughs> I, wor- I, wor- I work at, I work at uh, AutoZone. <laughs> I-, I work at Taco Bell, we gonna do what? Yeah, we gonna do it, and I'm gonna show you exactly how we gonna do it. Right. So what I did is I introduced them to financial literacy first. Because I knew the money was there, I just knew they didn't know how to handle it. Mm. And I was a byproduct of that. So we, we taught financial literacy, showed them where the money was, uh, got the money and I guaranteed them that whatever they did for God's house, he would do it for their house. And, I'm, and everybody in here, all of these people in here that go to our church can absolutely unequivocally tell you that from the moment they met us in ministry when we started, everything about their living circumstances, financial stability and family is innumerable times better. Not because, because of me. Not because of me, but because but of what the Lord showed testify. me to show them.
4: Yeah. Come on, <laughs> you, 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 you got to do this, though, Clarence. Yeah. Facts, you got it. Thanks. That's yeah.
1: an a drill move. I love it, Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> hey. And and I will say this because it's it's a lot of people that I that I converse with even before I went there, but even more so when I went there. And one thing I, I heard one writer say one time, he said that um, the church would give you the truth with no love, but the world would give you love with no truth. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I went to a church that provided both. Come on, man. You know what I'm saying, yeah. and so when when I talk to people, I always tell them, you know, because I'm a fisherman, I tell them something. You got to catch the fish before you clean it. And so when people came to lighthouse, it was easy for them to get caught. And he would even reprimand the people that tried to have a judgmental perspective to our people. Oh, don't you worry about what she got on or what he got on. Now let's get them in here first, show them love. Yeah. We can work on on that stuff later. But let's make sure they got their heart right. Let's make sure that their mind is in a good place. And 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 he. He prophesied one, one year, uh, just a few years ago, and he said, uh, if everybody come up to this altar for prayer or something like this, he said, if you want your own business, uh, you'll have it next year. I'll be <laughs> doggone. Dream chasers didn't come that following year. Yeah. So that's,
0: that's my testimony. That's you get to hear so many stories through ministry, how his word, his truth, his uh, being authentic changed their life, you know, because he he makes who follows him, his staff, his leadership. Hey, you want to treat my people right. Do justice in here before anywhere in God's house. So that justice translates to how we accept people in their stage and where they are. And it's life-changing Me, through ministry, watching men come into his house, young men, the you know, teenage, sometimes we can't even get the little children to go to the little church because they want to hear him right. like his word is so it transforms just to their age group they like no I want to hear Pascal no we got a church <laughs> a baby church for you yeah. I need to see for the grown people they I mean that connection because his word can go that high and that low to transform anybody and and change their lives we get calls all the time from people saying I'm moving to Houston You know, I I, I sowed a seed and I got this job or those things through ministry. Mm -hmm. And what we've been able to touch in the community, um, being connected to women's shelters and feeding, is just watching people transform through love first and God's word and just an authentic place where you can be yourself is amazing.
4: That's good. And I can personally testify to you know, just the spirit mm. at Lighthouse. Um, no offense to the first church that I visited when we moved to Houston, um, but I just, I just didn't feel it. Mm. And I kid you not, like the very first time I went to Lighthouse, I was like, this is it. I'm gonna join, this is it. It's just, you know, it, it's just so many life-changing things that are actually acted out. You know, it's one thing mm. to say, oh, you know, come here. You know, you're not gonna feel judged. You're not gonna feel right. any of these things, but y'all like walk the walk.
3: Like I could This is my second time seeing you. I remember the day you came. I remember you and your, I'm going to use names to show you how. (laughs) I remember your husband, they told me his name was TJ. You had a daughter named Ella. I held her. You came with your godfather or uncle, uh, Al Jennings, who's a judge here. You came with him and you had some other people with you up there. I remember them handing me your baby and praying for them. And I, I, I mean what I do, like it's my job. I don't just show up. So I have an experience with every person, and I think that a part of what we talk about today is, and I'm not saying that I do it right, because I don't always do it right. I, I'm, I leave that place more times feeling inadequate than I've ever felt feeling adequate. I, I don't even hear, believe, or see any of the stuff that, that they say, but it shows you how you can make a change if you just mean to. Yeah. Yeah. I just mean to. I don't know if I always do. I don't know if I always will, but I really mean to. I really, really mean to. And the only reason why we're here filming today is I really hope it helps somebody. Yeah. Even if it hurts me, even if it hurts me, I, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take so much criticism <laughs> for people on because I have people on the other side of the aisle that follow too, so they don't see this and and trying to find and strike that chord and balance where you satisfy both audiences, but. This, this ain't the time to be fair. This is the time to be just. Right. That right now black people are in trouble, and we can't ignore that because somebody feels uncomfortable. We're in trouble. There's a crisis. Black men are in trouble. We are, I was watching, uh, have y'all ever saw a show called Narco Wars? Mm-hmm. There's a show. There's a fish, I can't even think of the name of it. But the bladder of the fish is worth $100,000. So the cartel, they getting out of the drug business. they get into the fish bladder business. Because the people in China think that this bladder, once it is dried out, can give you the fountain of youth. And, and it makes your skin feel good. So people are dying over these fish. And I watched a whole documentary. You can watch it now. A whole documentary by Leonardo DiCaprio on how people all over the world have come together to save
4: Fish.
3: I need that same effort behind saving the black person, the black man, the black woman in particular. And then once our numbers get back up and we populate, we can go on to the next endangered species. But right now it's our turn.
4: I think folks gotta start spending time with some black folks. You know, really be able to empathize and, and Come from where they are. I, we ABC ran a special uh, recently, and I think it, it was just so profound and beautiful. It was a former uh, KKK member. I mean, tatted up. I mean, white supremacy symbols all over. And he met somebody, a black man, and, and became really good friends with him, and got to spend time with him. And his whole life changed. Whole life changed just by this friendship. And he went through the process of getting the tattoos removed and doing all of that. But just something as simple as being willing awesome. to have a conversation. I mean, literally, he went from hardcore, tatted up, you know, flags, just, just out of control to his life was changed just like that. So what we're doing is key. And I encourage everybody who's watching to, to have a conversation. It doesn't mean weakness. I think sometimes, and I have this, you know, viewers come to me all the time. The immediate response and the defense is, if we say something like, well, you know, this black person was unarmed and was killed, probably shouldn't have been, you know, it's like, well, or well, were they doing something? And I don't understand why you're saying Black Lives Matter, because everybody, Life matters. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And so do Black lives. Like right. Black, <laughs> that has to be included in that. You right. know. So we have to have those tough conversations, right? And that's what I was going to ask y'all. And whoever can respond, you know, how do we get? Because I think people love to, to value the virtues of love, right? And truth. I don't lie. You know. Or. Um, mm-hmm. Kindness, maybe some people have that down. But justice and uh, accepting and allowing justice for all people seems to be a tough concept. Like people are offended if you say, well, okay, well, let the Native Americans have the land that's sacred to them. Don't drill on it. If they say it's sacred to them, let them be. You know, it's like we all just become offended if it's, you know, bringing somebody else up or allowing them to be, you know, treated justly. So how, how do we go about it, getting people to embrace that virtue as well? Clarence, you look like you got something on your mind.
1: Well, I'm over here conjuring up some thoughts, but um, I think the first thing to do is to actually show love because I can't really try to get a room uh, full of people to do something if I'm not doing it first. You have to lead by example, and it's a conversation that I that I have quite often. Man, I can I can be friends. I am friends with people of all races, you know, but at the same time, I, I don't have a biased attitude. You know, if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And so I just try to get people to encourage. And like you just said about uh, the white, the, uh, the white supremacist and meeting the black guy, I'm like, man, sometimes you out here judging people and you have no idea of how cool they are or how they can even benefit you. So it's just like, you know, just be more open minded because don't you become what you're fighting against and i think that's key. that's
4: profound adria what do you think i mean obviously you deal with justice every day you deal with injustice every day how do you think we can go about starting to incorporate that or getting people to understand that the value of justice Ooh, i think
2: sometimes you have to meet people where they are um and likewise like i don't think that black people should have to constantly readjust themselves to meet other people and educate them but I also think sometimes we need to be open to having hard conversations with people who look different from us and challenging their beliefs and challenging their opinions and actually having like a free-flowing conversation where it's like, I'm not judging you, I'm really trying to understand you and vice versa. And so I think that is always a great um, starting point that's something that I'm trying to do myself it, with these people at court. I've been trying mm-hmm. <laughs> with my say, I'm colleagues. Trying, Lord. I'm trying, fine. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they challenge me sometimes. But, you know, I understand that everybody, especially in Texas, I'm from the north. It's, it's different here. And so I understand that some people really come from a place of ignorance. And I don't even know if they want to necessarily stay there, but they've never had the opportunity to have an open, judgment-free type of conversation to ask the questions that they want to ask and um, try to understand where, you know, our perspective come from. You know, just like the whole Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, I have that conversation all the time. And so I think that I always try to be the type of person where people feel comfortable enough to come to me to have these conversations because I'm going to educate you. And so I hope that other people take the same position in just being a place where people can learn.
4: Yeah, I used to be invited to a Ramadan dinner every year when I worked in Florida. I'm not Muslim, I'm Mm -hmm. Christian. Um, and this was you know, something that I never missed. Every time I was invited I would go because the people who were hosting it, one was a, a Turkish immigrant, his wife was Filipino. It was somebody else from Kyrgyzstan that was there. Like it, it was just the most beautiful, diverse thing. And, and so I was intentionally trying to have an open mind in conversation. and I learned so much. And I, I think that's kind of like where we start, right? I, I wasn't afraid to educate and, and hear a different side or a different perspective. I thought it was great, it was one of the best best times I've ever had, you know, and it wasn't my belief. It wasn't, you know, but but as Clarence said, it it, it opened with love. Mm -hmm. There was so much love in that room. And I got to hear an immigrant perspective. I got to hear a teacher who fled from Turkey and was jailed because they simply were teaching public school students math. And they thought they were secretly teaching them something against the government, you know, and literally had to flee for his life, you know. And so I think it helps me become a better person and a better journalist and have an overall perspective. Ms. Tanya, what do you think? How do, how do we go about this, this great justice movement?
0: My thoughts are more internal. You know, I think, as Pastor said, we have to, the conversation can start with us first. Because the bridge between their sides sometimes is so small, because it's just a common denominator. Just figuring out that common denominator on the other side through just, you, you're, we're still a person. But on our side, it's, it's a lot of conversations that have to happen within us. There's so many variants of us understanding us that it, it has to start on our side. That makes that conversation on that side a little bit easier. You, you, when, when you know you, <laughs> that conversation with them is easier. They, they, you're not on guard when you know you. When you are solid in who you are, I wasn't uncomfortable going into white America in corporate America, I knew me. Now there was a variance of me, you know, but I was, you You knew you, <laughs> you know. I, I, I was able to learn me at, at you know, because of being around um, African all my colors and the shades of me and the variance. Meeting a black person from uh, Omaha, Nebraska. What? How y'all get up there? <laughs> but that was a different version of me. You know, her version of me, Texas and, and my, of, of a black person from Texas is different. But going into that place, so I think starting there doesn't always have to go talking to that side first. Let's, it's time to heal us inside of here because there's so many variants of conversations that have to happen here because we don't know. Everybody doesn't know their history. They don't know where it starts. We can talk about it, heal it, and then that side probably there's conversations that can happen where they want to know you more because you're not so on guard because you're comfortable with who you are, all the imperfections of who you are. it, It makes a conversation a lot more easier to be a part of because it can get difficult, but when you don't know you and you're not comfortable with you and you always feel like you're trying to justify everything that they say
4: is wrong with you, that conversation on the other side
0: is too hard.
4: That's good, and you touched on something, and this need to be a segment one day, and Pastor can certainly attest to this, we have so much healing that needs to be done in the black yeah, community. Let's just be honest about it, right? Yeah. We're upset, you know, daddy yeah. wasn't there. I, I don't like the way my mama talked to me. I feel like she didn't value my dreams. I feel like, you know, I didn't get a fair shake at yeah. this, so I'm mad at the world. There's so much healing that needs to be had, you got to right? Tell again. Go get therapy, yeah. Go get say therapy. it again, yeah. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this candid conversation. I would say we are all even more blessed more enlightened and certainly have just kind of gotten to the surface and beyond and we hope that you guys got something out of it too. I would say for all of us that we're always available to talk even further. We love stuff like this and we hope that you tune in continuously for this Tackle the Tech series and remember if you can check out something for Black History Month and get a little bit more enlightened even if you are black, do so. We'll see you next time.
3: Listen, we have created a way for all of you all to connect with us online, whether you live in the city of Houston, out of the city of Houston, whether you're in another country, we've created a platform called Lighthouse 2.0. And it is nothing more than my way of connecting to you wherever you are. So right now they're getting ready to put a link up on the screen and you're gonna be able to go to that link, to that place, and say you wanna be a part, come check us out. We got a lot that we've given and we got a lot more for you. I cannot wait to see you at 2.0.